Hallelujah. If you would turn in your Bibles with me, let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. great joy to be in the house of the Lord with each of you on this Wednesday night. Thank you. I honor you for taking time out of your midweek and being in the house of the Lord. And I want to turn your attention in the word of the Lord to Romans chapter 1. Last Wednesday, I ministered from various passages in the book of Acts about how the early church was called the way. They referred to themselves as the way, and it had meaning when they said that. They were referring to uh, how Jesus is the way. He is the only way to be saved, and people in the early uh, days of the church referred to anyone who was a disciple of Jesus Christ as a member of the way. Sunday morning, I ministered from uh, the word of the Lord about let's do it God's way. Let's do it God's way. There's maybe no more important of a declaration that a person can make than to say, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I'm going to do it God's way. Tonight, I want to minister from Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 8 in the New King James Version. This is what the word of the Lord says. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but I was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to wise and to unwise, so, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. My message tonight is going to intersect with what the Lord ministered to us on Sunday morning about let's do it God's way. Uh, tonight, I want to really focus in on Romans chapter 1, verse 10, which says, Make your request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. I want to minister from that phrase, finding a way in God's will, finding a way in God's will. You may be seated. I think there are some saints here tonight who are saying, I want to find a way. I want to find a way to make a difference in my city. I want to find a way to make a disciple. I want to find a way to share the gospel with somebody. Would somebody say amen? I think there's some gathered here on this Wednesday night who are saying, I want to find a way. I'm looking for a way to make a difference in somebody's life. I'm looking for a way to introduce somebody to Jesus Christ. I'm looking for a way to invest time in somebody else's life so that I can help them become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
I want to teach every part of verse 10. So if you'll bear with me for a moment, I just want to park on Romans chapter 1, verse 10. And I want to teach every part of it because I think every part matters. I'll be honest with you, I was going a different direction for tonight. And it doesn't happen all that often. But this morning I was reading my Bible early and I had finished reading uh, the last book of the Bible I read was Hosea. And I finished reading Hosea yesterday, and I started reading Romans today. And I didn't get further than verse 15, and the Lord quickened me and said that this is what I needed to minister tonight. And he changed my course, and so I'm following after the Lord. I want to teach every part of verse 10. The first words in verse 10 is Paul says he's making requests. So what that's connected to is in verse 9. In verse 9, we find out that this is something that Paul is praying. He's praying for the Roman church. He's writing a letter to a place he's never been. These are people he does not personally know. This is a church he did not plant. This is a church he has not visited. This is a city he has never been to. And he's writing a letter to a place that he's never been. And he's praying for them. He's letting them know, you are in my prayers often. And I'm making requests that... I might come to you. He says, I'm making a request. And, and those two words stand out to me, and they're important because they tell us something, and they should prompt us in our spirit. And what, what I wrote down early this morning that spoke to me that I want to share t- with you from those two words in particular, if you're not praying about it, do you, can you really reasonably expect it to happen? If it's, not in your, if it's not showing up in your prayer life, Can you really reasonably expect God to answer a prayer that never gets prayed? The Apostle Paul had this desire to go to Rome. He had this desire to see the Roman church strengthened. And because of that, it was showing up repeatedly in his prayer life. And he says that I am always making requests for you. So I'm going to ask, maybe I'll go a step further and ask a question that's maybe a little bit in our face. It was in my face. If you're not making your desires known to God, is is God really to believe that you care enough for him to even open the door? This was a door that Paul was wanting to see opened. He was wanting an open door to ministry to the Roman church and to the city of Rome. And as a result, it found its way into his prayer life. But is God really to believe if it doesn't show up in our prayer life, is God really supposed to believe that we actually Want it to happen? What's the best indicator that we actually want to see something take place? Have you ever heard the question? Maybe you've heard it. It kind of hits me between the eyes every time that someone asks it. If God gave you everything that you prayed for in the last two days, what would change? What would change about your life? What would change about your world? What would change about the United States of America? What would change about our city? What would change about our church if God gave you everything that you've prayed for in the last week? I know. That's, that's the real stuff, isn't it? It gets me every time. Brother Hewling, it gets me every time. It checks me every single time and makes me want to get myself into gear and sharpen up my prayer life. Amen? Paul's prayer life There were some things being reflected in Paul's prayer life. There were some kingdom prayers being prayed in Paul's prayer life. He says, I'm making requests to God. 
And this is what he was praying. He says, if by some means, we're still in verse 10, if by some means. He was praying about this, but hear me, there was still a lot of uncertainty. See that word, if? By some means, still a lot of uncertainty. Paul doesn't have an answer. We, Paul's a giant of the faith. Paul doesn't have an answer yet. Paul's been praying about this for a long time, and guess what? Paul doesn't have an answer. Paul's been praying a long time. He's been praying fervently. He's been praying persistently. And he's still at the place where he's saying, if. Now, you have to know that by the time, he, Sister Ray, by the time he's writing the letter to the Romans, he probably wishes he had an answer to this one. He probably wishes that he could write Sister Amy and say, guess what? I already bought my ticket. I'm going to be there on this date. God's already opened in the doors. But instead, he's writing the words to the letter, and he's still at the place where he's saying, if by some means, there's still uncertainty. He doesn't know if it's going to happen. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. He doesn't know when it's going to happen. There's a lot about, we talked last week about the way of Jesus, living life as a disciple. There's a lot about living Jesus' way that looks like that. Can we just admit it? There's a lot about, there's a lot, I think sometimes that I've got things I've got going on that in my way, I think I've got it all buttoned down. But when I click over and I start living God's way instead of my way, there's many times where it looks like that. I don't want it to look, my flesh doesn't like it, but there's many times when it looks like that. I had someone describe it to me one time as Old Testament faith. Sometimes we get into the New Testament faith and we get into name it and claim it territory. And certainly you can speak faith over things boldly. You ought to be able to and you ought to be doing it. But Old Testament faith is like when those three Hebrew guys were standing, when everyone else was bowing, and then all of a sudden they started to feel the heat, literally, and they walked them up to the front of that fiery furnace that had been stoked up seven times hotter than it had ever been stoked, and they gave them one more chance and said, boys, it's time to bow down or else you're going to get thrown in. What do they say? Daniel chapter 3. They said, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from that fire, burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. It's that but if not faith that sometimes we haven't grown into fully. And if we're going to do things Jesus' way, if we're going to live Jesus' way, if we're going to walk in his way, it's a necessary component of our faith. We must get to the place where we embrace that if by, in, by some means. God, I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm not sure when it's going to happen. I'm not even sure if you're going to allow it to happen. But I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep praying over it, Jesus. I'm going to keep asking you for it, Jesus. I, I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to be fervent. I'm going to, be, I'm going to pray as long as I have to. And maybe God will allow it to happen. And if he will allow it to happen, he'll figure out the when and the how and the what 
and all the details around it. If by some means. He goes on to say, now at last. If by some means, now at last. This is something Paul, this just tells us how much Paul wanted it. That's what we say when, we want, when something finally, we see the light coming, we see the light at the end of the tunnel, and we see it finally coming to pass, we say, at last. At last. This is something Paul had prayed about for a long time. He dreamed about it. He'd waited for it. Hoping, as he writes the letter to the Romans, chapter 1, that perhaps this was the season, this was the time that God would ordain and allow for a trip to Rome to happen. His trip, here's what else it tells me. His desire to make a trip to Rome for ministry was not impulsive. It was something he'd been praying for for a long time. It was something he'd been planning for for a long time. He says, now at last I may find a way. I may find a way. Now I want to pause here a little extra because I feel like, and this is what, this is what I felt in prayer this morning, this is the part we tend to understand the least when Paul writes, now at last I may find a way. I want to jump ahead to verses 11, 12, and 13 because we can't really understand what he means by finding a way until we read these next three verses. Let's read them again. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. See, what you need to know is that long before he ever wrote these words in the first chapter of the letter to the Romans, Paul had been trying to get to Rome. He had made plans multiple, look at verse 13. He'd made plans multiple times and they hadn't materialized. How many of us have made plans that just never came together? We've all done it. The apostle Paul wasn't above it. He had this earnest desire to go on a missionary journey to Rome. He wanted to see the church further established. He wanted God to open some doors to other parts of the world. He wanted to go to Rome. Rome was the capital city. Rome was the center of influence. Rome was where he felt in his human reckoning that he could make the most impact. He could do the most good. He wanted to go to Rome. And he even writes to them and says, I want you to know. I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant. I've made plans to come. And it just hasn't materialized yet. He was actively looking for a way to make it happen. And that's what he means whenever he writes and he says, that I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Now, we haven't, we've developed more of a mindset sometimes when it comes to doing the will of God, that God will make all of it happen for us in its time. And that we just need to patiently get in a spiritual holding pattern and taxi around the runway, right? I, I know I'm not the only one. Taxi around the runway until God causes it to explode onto the scene of our life. God's just going to, he's just going to drop it out of heaven right on me. You know, there's like Paul's going to want to go to Rome and he's just sitting there waiting on a, uh, a boat ticket to float out of the sky like a feather, just land on his front porch, you know, and that's going to be his sign that 
it's a one-way ticket to Rome. It must be time. God's, God's doing it. Instead, what Paul writes and what the reality looks like is Paul is actively looking for a way to make it happen. And sometimes we get that, that can get crossways with our personal theology of how God's will is supposed to work in our life, doesn't it? And I know I just, I know I just made light of it, and I know I, I kind of made an outrageous illustration of how it could work for Paul if he were taking that approach, and I know it was a little out there and probably a little bit exaggerated, but if we would be honest, if I would be honest, I've taken that approach sometimes to seeing God's will unfold in my life, and what I'm encouraged by is I see in the life of Apostle Paul, he's got this thing that he really wants to see happen. And he's actively looking for a way. He's actively making plans and trying to cause it to come to pass. He's trying to make it come to pass. And I think the difference is, and sometimes we can shy back away from that and we say, oh, I I sure don't, I don't want to walk through a door that God has closed. That's what we say. And certainly, we don't want to get outside of the will of God. But let me, give, let, me give you, let me give you some Bible teaching for the middle place that we can live. Because we can't live over here where we're living so cautious that we can't do the will of God. And we can't live over here where we're kicking every door in and getting ourselves into all kind of nonsense. Because we're not waiting on the will of God and we're not listening for the voice of God. We can't live over here either. Where do we live? We live in this place that Paul is describing. He's, he might not be doing it on purpose. He's telling, he's telling the Romans kind of what he's doing. And I think the Holy Ghost did it on purpose to teach us something about finding a way in God's will. That's where we're at right here in the middle. We have to find a place where we're not cautious, so cautious that we can never accomplish the will of God, but we're also not so full of zeal and getting ourselves into messes. We've got to find a place out there in the middle. And so Paul is writing... And he gives us the way forward, and he shows us how we can do it. And I think the key to finding the place that I'm describing is found in what Paul writes to them in the next few verses. He writes to them and says, I want to come to you so that I can see fruit among you. I desire to preach the gospel to you. I want to help evangelize your city. I want to help strengthen the church. I want to see a spiritual harvest in Rome. I want us, what does he say? If you've got your Bible over, you can see it. I want, I want us to be together so that we can encourage one another. That's what he says. And I think therein lies the key. His motives were correct. And when your motives and your outlook is correct, You can live with boldness. Are we making a connection here? Is everyone tracking along with me? Talking about getting out of the cautious mode where we're so timid that we can't do anything for God, but not letting the pendulum swing all the way to the other side where we're doing ignorant stuff and getting ourselves into trouble. I'm talking about finding the actual place where God would have us live our lives not just, not just whenever we're on fire for God after a great Sunday night service. I'm talking about every day. I'm talking about all the time. I'm talking about the way of Jesus, and not my way, but his way. 
How do I get there? How do I put one foot in front of the other and actually live out the will of God in my life? It's something that Paul called finding a way in God's will. He's putting the two, there's an intersection of the work that God does and the work that we are supposed to do, and it's called finding a way in God's will. Paul said, I've been making plans. They hadn't materialized yet, but I haven't given up. I'm determined in the Holy Ghost to come to Rome. Why? Because my motives are pure. I know I can walk boldly. I can boldly look for ways to make this happen because my motives are right. I want to see a spiritual harvest. I want to see the church strengthened and established. I want to be encouraged with you. I want to encourage you, and I want you to encourage me. Fact is, he writes on. Later, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he writes on at the end of Romans and says, I also want to go on to Spain. So he's saying, not only do I want to minister in Rome, but I want to minister in Rome and then I want to use it as a launching off point for even more of what God wants to do. That's why I want to go and find a way to get to you, Rome. Because the will of God is in it. Make a bold statement. Talking about being bold, let me make a bold statement. When your motives are right, we use that illustration sometimes of of walking through a door that God has, and sometimes there's different doors in life. When your motives are right, guess what you're allowed to do? You're allowed to turn doorknobs and kind of check things out. You're allowed to make plans. You're allowed to do that. When your motives are right, when you have a prayer life that's being governed and led by the Spirit of God, no more do you have to sit in the hallway and just wait for one of the doors to open. Maybe one day a a breeze will blow through and one of these doors will swing open. No more. When you're in the Holy Ghost, when you have a spiritual prayer life, when you've allowed God to shape your motives and get them right, Suddenly, you have the liberty to be so bold as to turn a doorknob and stick your head through. Say, is this the way? Is this the plan? Is this how I'm supposed to get to Rome? No. Okay. Close it back up. Didn't materialize. Wasn't time. Felt a check in my spirit about it. Someone in my life that I trust said, "Mm -mm, don't do that. It's not time for that. And you go on to the next one. And you're able to start living in the Spirit. And you're able to start finding the will of God. And finding a way in the will of God to see the plans of God start to unfold in your life. You know, we say, wait, we've preached even just in the past couple of weeks about waiting, they that wait upon the Lord. One of my elders told me one time uh, something that helped me. Waiting is not a passive activity. Let that sink in because it ties in directly to what I'm trying to communicate right now. Waiting is not a passive activity. When your heart is set on the same things as God's heart is, you can act with boldness. You can seek counsel and make plans. In the middle of all the planning, keep on praying. But you can pray and make plans, and be in the will of God. 
Finding a way shouldn't ever be separated from the will of God. And that's what Paul says next at the end of verse 10. He says, I, I want to find a way in the will of God. I don't think I have to spend very much time teaching tonight that God's will is very, very important. We must be in the will of God. You want to be in the will of God. Luke chapter 11, verse 2, Jesus says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how he taught us to pray. James chapter 4, verse 15, he instructs and says, Say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. There's a certain language model that we can incorporate into our conversation and even into our thinking whenever we're making those plans. You can be bold and still be respectful of the will of God at the same time. There is a way to do that. Paul models it for us. We need to understand it, and if we will understand it and start training ourselves to live that way, we will start to see God start to do things that we haven't even started to imagine yet. God will begin to open doors for ministry. Guess where it starts? It starts in our prayer life. If we're not praying for it, can we reasonably expect God to open the door? Can we reasonably expect him to bring it across our path? It begins in our prayer life. And when our prayer life is intact, we'll start to feel unctions and, 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 and start to feel provoked and prompted in the spirit to do certain things. And God will start to lead us. And then when he starts to lead us and our motives are being shaped by the Holy Ghost, we can start to make plans. And we can start to say, we can start to step out in faith and act in boldness. But at the same time, we can say, God, your will be done. At the same time, we can say, I've got plans to do this or that if the Lord permits. Think about, think about the Hebrew guys in Daniel chapter 3. They said, but if not, that's where we have to, that's where we live. That's where we live. That's called living by faith. That's what it is to, be, to live by faith. Absolutely, let's do it God's way. But also, let's live in such a way to where we can find a way in the will of God. I'm going to say that again because we need to understand the intersection that God is trying to bring someone here to tonight. You're struggling with what to do. You feel a calling on your life. You know that God has something for you in the next season of life. You're trying to, to navigate what it is. You're trying to process what it is the Lord is doing in your life in this season and in the rest of the seasons to come in your life. And you, you're latching on and saying, absolutely, let's do it God's way. You need to latch on to something else as, as well and say, as much as I'm intent on doing it God's way, I also want to live boldly and say, I want to find a way in the will of God. Have you ever, have you ever had a delayed answer to prayer? Show of hands. A delayed answer to prayer. And after the fact, God answers the prayer somehow or another. And after the fact, you thought, maybe you actually said it out loud. You thought, wow, I'm glad that didn't happen six months ago. I'm glad it didn't happen three years ago. I wasn't ready. It wasn't time yet. Paul had waited and desired, dreamed, 
he'd even made plans about going to Rome. It hadn't materialized yet. Makes me think about Daniel. Book of Daniel says that Daniel had been praying earnestly and that an angel came to him one day and told him, Daniel, heaven heard you the first time you prayed about it. He'd prayed for 21 days. The angel came to Daniel and said, Daniel, heaven heard you the first day you prayed about it. But it's taken me 21 days to get to you because of the opposition that I faced in the spirit. Some of you right now, you're praying, you are praying for things. I don't, I don't mean to, 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 in, to insinuate that you're not. I mean to provoke you and to challenge you and say, we need to be praying. We need to be praying big prayers. We must be praying kingdom prayers. And there's some, there's some of you that are. There's some of you that have been for many years. And I want to encourage you, there are things happening while you're praying. Daniel prayed for 21 days, and there were things happening while Daniel was praying that he didn't know anything about until the end of the story. I want to encourage somebody tonight, keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep planning. Keep believing. Because when we pray about kingdom things, there are souls at stake. There's souls at stake. Keep praying. Your neighbor's soul may be at stake. Your loved one's salvation may be. Keep praying. I know you've been praying for months. I know you've been praying. Maybe you've been praying for decades about something. Keep on praying. That it isn't over yet. It's not over yet. Somebody, somebody affirm that with me right now in the Holy Ghost and just believe with me. It's not over. You've got someone in your life that's far from God. It's not over yet. You've got a child that's far from God or a spouse that's far from God. It isn't over yet. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep planning. Keep asking. Keep inviting. Keep believing. The stakes are so high. Any the stakes were so high that any trip to Rome that Paul was going to take, it had to be in the will of God. There are things that need to happen in your life. There's things that need to happen in the lives of your loved ones. Salvation things. There are things pertaining to people's salvation that are hanging in the balance. And the stakes are so high we must have the will of God driving things. We cannot try to do it on our own. We cannot try to circumvent the will of God. God's will must be supreme. It must be the ultimate thing. That much hangs in the balance. Keep praying. It couldn't just be Paul's zeal or Paul's enthusiasm driving the bus. It had to be the will of God. He had to be submitted to the will of God. That's why he said, I'm going to find a way, not just to find a way. I'm going to find a way in the will of God. He understood what the stakes were. The stake, brothers and sisters, the stakes have not lowered. 
the stakes of now. I don't know what the population of Rome was back then. But can we just say it was the population of southeast Missouri all combined together? The stakes have not lowered. This region needs God. This region needs God. Where is Paul? Where's Paul? Who will go to where there is no church? Who's Paul who will go to the neighborhood or the community center? The place where the gospel isn't being preached? Who will go? Who will pray about it? Who will plan about it? Who will take care of the details so that it can be facilitated? The stakes are still there. I know we aren't living in the first century anymore. I know that the Christian church isn't necessarily a new thing emerging in the world today. We're, we're out there and, and it's established, but the stakes are still there. There are 8 billion people in this world. 8 billion people with a B growing by the millions every single day who will go. Romans chapter 15, Paul opens things up a little bit further. He says, for this reason, I have also been much hindered from coming to you. There's that word, hindered. I've been hindered from coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these parts and having great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. You might have studied the New Testament enough, and you may have looked at the, the maps. Who's got maps in the back of their Bible? All right, how many have stared at the maps and tried to say, okay, what's this little squiggly line mean? You've, you're almost assuredly, if you've got maps in the back of your Bible, you've got a map of Paul's missionary journeys, and it's got all the squiggly lines that are different colors that shows you where he went, and and all that kind of stuff. And if you've ever spent time staring at those like I have, I remember being a child staring at the maps. Someone would be up front doing what I'm doing right now, and meanwhile, I'm seven rows back staring at the maps. I can remember, and maybe you've looked into it, and maybe you've read enough and pieced the puzzle pieces together in the New Testament to be able to put together a timeline of how Paul's missionary journeys went, and maybe you already know that Paul eventually did get to Rome. Finally, one day, he got there. I want to tell you how this prayer of Paul's and how this dream of his finally came true and how God's will that Paul worked so hard to find finally materialized into his life. And what, what I want us to ask ourselves as I tell this story, I want, I want us to ask ourselves, what is finding a way in the will of God worth? What's it worth to you to be in the will of God? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to not do in order to find that way in the will of God? Here's the story. After his third missionary journey, Paul wanted to visit the saints in Jerusalem. That's what I just read in Romans 15. He says, I hope to come to you on my way to Spain, Rome, but first, I need to go visit the saints in Jerusalem. So Paul, after his third missionary journey, 
he does go to Jerusalem. Now, some of his friends in Acts chapter 21 urged him not to go. They said, Paul, there's been all kinds of persecution happening in Jerusalem. You don't need to go there. You're going to get eat up. They're going to they're gonna do bad things to you if you go to Jerusalem. And Paul said, I'm going anyways. I know, I know the troubles they're having. I'm going to go into the middle of it anyways. He says, in Acts chapter 21, he says, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is the same person. Let me just pause for a second. This is the same guy that just finished writing Romans chapter 1. That says, I've got this earnest desire to go to Rome. Same gentleman. He just finished right. He licked the stamp, put it on the envelope, and sent it out to Rome. And says, all right, time to go to Jerusalem. And his friends say, no, they're persecuting people in Jerusalem. It's going to be bad if you go there. He says, I don't care. I'm, I'm ready to, be, I'll go and I'll be persecuted. And I'll even die for the name of the Lord in Jerusalem. That's somebody who's living boldly. He got there. And he's in the temple in Jerusalem, teaching, doing Paul stuff. And he was the focus of a riot. Not a protest, a riot in Jerusalem. And he was eventually arrested, and they put him in prison in the Roman barracks. While he's in custody... Paul heard from the Lord one night. He's in prison. He's gone. To, he's written the letter to the Romans. I want to go to Rome. He's decided to go to Jerusalem. The persecution that he was told was there has met him. He's been arrested. He's in the Roman barracks. And an angel of the Lord comes to him and says to him, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. There it is. Paul has made plans for years. He's prayed for years, and he's just now finally received his promise from God, I'm going to take you to Rome. Just like you've preached in Jerusalem, you must also preach in Rome. So while he's awaiting trial in Jerusalem, he's there in the Roman barracks, he's awaiting trial, and the word comes through, Brother Burke, that someone has, organ someone has organized a hit on Paul. There is a conspiracy to take Paul out. They're going to take him out of the barracks and take him to the courthouse. And in the meantime, there's this whole group of people that have sworn an oath and said, Paul's not making it out of Jerusalem alive. We're going to get him. And they find out this is going on. And so they put Paul into this highly protective custody. And he's transferred to uh, Caesarea, Caesarea for trial. And while he's there in another city, Paul faced a trial before, this is all stuff, we're talking about finding a way in the will of God, this is it. This is it. We have record of, of how Paul found a way in the will of God to make it to Rome. He's there, and he goes to trial, and he is in a trial before the governor, Felix, and then he has more jail time, and then there's a changing of the guard. Felix is out, and Festus is in, and so now the governor, Festus. He's before trial with Festus. And Festus suggested that Paul return to Jerusalem to stand trial. He says, you need to go back to Jerusalem and stand trial for this stuff. But Paul recognized the danger of doing so. And so Paul had Roman citizenship. And he appealed to Caesar, as was his right. And he says, I'm not going back to Jerusalem. 
I'm not going to get a fair trial there. Fact is, I've received, he doesn't tell Festus all this, but he says, I'm not even supposed to go there. God's already told me I'm supposed to go to Rome. And so I've got this one card to play. I happen, by no control of my own, to have been born a Roman citizen. And I know how to get to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. Now, when you appeal to Caesar, you're treading on thin ice. Caesar's the kind of person that can look at you sideways and you're dead. It's over. And he's not going to think about you ever again. He appeals to Caesar. He ups the ante and says, I'm going all in. I'm, you're not sending me back to Jerusalem. In fact, I'm going, to, I'm going to insist on my rights as a Roman citizen. I appeal to Caesar. And that appeal to Caesar is what launches Paul into the next chapter. This is all in the second half of the book of Acts. It's, it's, the second half of the book of Acts is almost entirely the story of how Paul found a way in God's will to get to Rome. That's the second half of the book of Acts. That's it. All I'm doing is summarizing it right now. Paul appeals to Caesar, and they have to get him on a boat. So they take him on a boat. He's a prisoner. And they're transporting him to Rome. And there's 276 people on this boat, including Paul. They set sail. They stopped in Sidon, changed ships. Eventually, they sailed on. They put into a harbor that's called Fair Havens. Paul warned them that there was trouble coming. He received a word from the Lord. He said, guys, it's getting ready to get bad. We don't need to go any further. They're wanting to press on to this other harbor to get there before winter. And so they said, Paul, just be quiet. We're going to go on to this other place in Crete. They take off for Crete, and they never make it to Crete. And they get caught in this storm. And it's this storm that comes across in the Mediterranean. It's called a nor'easter. And it's hurricane force winds. And, and, and they got in the middle of the storm, and they're trying to throw everything they can overboard. And they're trying to reinforce the hull. And, I mean, this storm is fixing to tear this boat completely apart. This storm went on for 14 days. I've never been a part of a storm that lasted 14 days. Just haven't. 14 days. Now that's where some of us get stopped right there. A two-week storm, and it's not worth it anymore. I don't want to find a way in God's will anymore. Worst two weeks of my life, haven't seen the sun in two weeks, I'm out. I bit off more than I can chew. I'm done. I'm tapped out. I don't want any more. Two weeks. Paul received a visit from an angel, and he passed on the encouragement to the crew. Acts chapter 27, he says, Now I urge you to take heart that there be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it, as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Let me interpret that for you. He, said, he, he got a visit from an angel. They're in the middle of this 14-day storm. The angel says, Paul, everything's going to be all right. You're going to make it to Rome. No one on the boat with you is going to die, but it's going to get rough for a while. You're going to lose the boat. 
you're going to shipwreck on an island, and that's what they do. They shipwreck on a sandbar, an island called Malta. It's a speck in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean. It's like a rock in the middle of the ocean. They get to Malta. Everyone survives. They claw their way onto shore. They meet some of the native people. They start building a fire. Paul's building the fire. That's what you do when you're marooned on an island. And a viper comes out and bites him. Anyone like snakes? I don't like snakes. I don't like being marooned on a desert island. I don't like being in a 14-day storm. I don't like being a prisoner in chains. I don't like being in the custody of the Roman Empire. I don't like knowing sailing to Rome that I have appealed to Caesar, and it's the only way that I know that I can get there, but I know that once I do get there, I'm going to have to stand before Caesar. And I'm just going to play the odds and hope he's in a good mood that morning. I don't like any of that. And I sure don't like snakes. And here I am on Malta, this little speck of a rock in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And I'm doing my best to keep everyone else's spirits up. And I get snake bit by an extremely venomous viper. And all the native people are watching him. And he shakes this snake off into the fire, and they're just watching him. Like, all right, how many minutes is it going to be? The last time someone got bit one of those, he lasted three minutes. And the minutes went by, and Paul didn't die. He didn't die. You know the story. Got bit by the viper, doesn't die. After three months in Malta, they set sail again. And Paul eventually arrives in Rome as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. And once he's in Rome, he's given the privilege of living by himself, but he's got a Roman guard there. He's under house arrest. In Acts chapter 28, the very last two verses in the book of Acts says this, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. He was under house arrest and received all who came to him. He was able to have visitors. And he preached the kingdom of God and teaching things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. The last word in the book of Acts can be translated unhindered. How many times has that word come up since we've been talking tonight? We go to Romans chapter 1. He says, I've made plans, but I've been hindered. Romans chapter 15, he says it again. He says, I've made plans for years to come to you guys, and I've been hindered by it. Now, finally, he has found a way in the will of God to make it to Rome. And the last word in Paul's story, we never hear anything else about the narrative flow of Paul's life ever again. We get some letters, but we never hear anything else about what happens. We do eventually find out that, that he dies in Rome. We hear nothing else about Paul's life. And the last letter that we have, the last word we have about Paul's life and his status is unhindered, unhindered. That's what's waiting for us on the other side of finding a way in God's will, unhindered. God wants to bring us to the place where you're able to do ministry unhindered. We have to grapple with the question, what's it worth to us? I just spent 10 minutes telling you the details of what it was worth to Paul. What's it worth to us? musicians would come. What was the price 
of finding a way in the will of God. Paul had journeyed around all over the Mediterranean world, doing missionary work, starting new churches, visiting the existing churches. He had taught in the Jewish synagogues. He had taught in the halls of secular philosophy. Paul had no idea that Rome would be his final stop. He'd hoped to go to Spain. Eventually, Paul's house arrest and his confinement in Rome took a turn. Eventually, there came a time we can infer from the Bible. There came a time when it started to be dangerous to even appear in public as a friend of Paul in Rome. No lawyer would venture to plead his cause in court. He couldn't get anyone to represent him. He couldn't get any clerks to help him in arranging the evidence that might help him win his case. There weren't any more supporters who would step in and act as a character witness for Paul in his favor. No one would step in to help reduce the severity of the punishment that Paul was facing if he were to lose his trial before Caesar. Stand with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is the final letter that Paul ever wrote. He wrote it as a prisoner in chains under house arrest in Rome. He wrote it during this season that I've just described where things took a turn and all of a sudden there's no one standing with Paul. No one wants to be Paul's friend. No one wants to be associated with Paul. It becomes dangerous to be associated with him. Why? Brother Sanders, it was becoming evident that Paul wasn't going to win his case. He'd found a way to live out the will of God by going to Rome, but it was going to cost him his life. He wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I don't know about you, but every time I read that last bit of what Paul wrote to Timothy, it just starts giving me chills. Because he's writing it as a person. He knows he's about to pay the price. He writes on about 10 verses later. He says, Timothy, at my first defense, the first time that I went to trial here in Rome, Timothy, no one stood with me, but everyone forsook me. I pray that it wouldn't be charged against them, that God wouldn't hold it against them. He says, Timothy, even though no one else would stand with me, the Lord stood with me, and the Lord strengthened me. So that the mess, listen to Paul, Listen to his motives, still intact. He's gone through everything he's gone through. And he's knocking on the door of being executed. Listen to his motives. They're still intact. He says, the Lord stood with me when no one else would so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. I know this about myself. I'm a Gentile. <laughs> He's talking about me. Someone. <laughs> it 
Someone thought it was worth it. Someone thought it was worth it for you and me. To do everything he could to find a way in God's will. To say, I'm going to the next place. They don't know about Jesus there. I'm going to the next family. I'm going to the next house. I'm going to the next neighborhood. I'm going to go to the next town. I'm going to go to the next country. I'm going to go to the next continent. I'm going to go anywhere where they need to hear. And even standing on the edge of what he was about to endure, the Apostle Paul had that same heartbeat for the things of God. He says, it has to be this way so that the gospel can be fully preached through me. You know what captured my attention this morning? And and I'm going to make a call for prayer. You know what captured my attention this morning? Is those words, fully preached. That means that Paul still had this desire for God to be able to do everything he wanted to do unhindered through him. That's what I want. I want God to be able to do anything he wants through me. I want to be an instrument in his hand. I want to do it God's way. I want to do it God's way. Can we lift up our hands all over this room right now and just start being sensitive to the Holy Ghost because he's here right now and I don't know how he's spoken to you in these last several moments that we've had together on this Wednesday night. But you may not feel like there's anybody in your corner, but I'm here to tell you Jesus is in your corner. These altars are open right now. I would that somebody would step out in faith. Maybe there's something you need to pray about. Maybe there's something you need to pray about. Someone's name you need to call out in prayer. Maybe you need to call out the names of the people you work with. Maybe you need to call out the names of your neighbors. Come on, would we allow that question to challenge us right now? If God gave us everything that we prayed about in the last week, what would be different about our world right now? What would be different about my life right now? Would anybody that I know be changed? Would anybody that I know be saved? Would there be any healings that took place? Come on, brothers and sisters, what is it that you're praying about? Come on, I'm inviting... I'm calling on everybody that's full of the Holy Ghost right now to step out of where you are and find a place of prayer. Because here's what you need to do. You need to write a letter in the Spirit to a place you've never been. The Apostle Paul wrote that letter to the Romans. He didn't know them. He'd never been there. Your prayers.